Young Folks Treasury, Volume Three, edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ellen Preckle. Section Fifty One, The Sore Tongue by Jane Taylor. There was a little girl called Fanny who had the misfortune one day to bite her tongue as she was eating her breakfast. It hurt her so much that she could scarcely help crying and even when the first smart was over it continued so sore that whenever she spoke it pained her considerably finding this to be the case she said very pitifully to her mother mamma you can't think how it hurts me when i speak does it replied her mother then i'll tell you what i would advise you to do resolve all this day to say nothing but what is either necessary or useful this will give your tongue a fine holiday and may answer more purposes than one fanny knowing that she had the character of being somewhat loquacious could not help laughing at this and said well i will try for once so mum i am going to begin now mamma do so and whenever you are beginning to speak be sure to ask yourself whether what you were going to say was likely to be of any use or whether it was necessary yes yes i will but don't talk to me mamma for fear so saying she screwed up her lips and taking her work sat for about five minutes as still as a mouse she then looked up smiled and nodded at her mother as much as to say see how well i can hold my tongue still screwing her lips very tight for fear she should speak soon however she began to feel a great inclination to say something and was glad to recollect that if she could but think of anything either useful or necessary she might speak whereupon she endeavoured to find something to say that would come within the act to aid her invention she looked all around the room mamma don't you think the fire wants stirring this question she thought savoured of both qualifications not at present my dear then followed another long silence for fanny found it vastly more difficult than she had any previous idea of to think of anything useful to talk about and she knew her mamma would laugh at her if she said what was obviously idle or silly just now she was beginning to repent having made such an agreement when her three elder sisters entered the room she now thought it quite reasonable if not absolutely necessary to tell them of her misfortune which she did at considerable length and with many needless digressions the usual custom with great talkers upon which they all laughed prophesying that her resolution would not last half an hour and rallying her for telling such a long story with a sore tongue soon after some ladies called to pay their mother a morning visit this gave fanny's tongue such a long rest that the moment they were gone it seemed irresistibly to resume its wonted functions what a while old mrs w has had that brown satin pelisse really poor old lady i am quite tired of seeing her in it how is your tongue fanny oh better mamma thank you almost well i am sorry for it i was in hopes it would have been sore enough at least to prevent your making impertinent remarks upon anybody all this day no but really mamma is it not an old rubbishing thing i don't know indeed it is no business of mine therefore i took no notice of it a silence ensued after this but conversation revived when caroline who had stood for some time with her eyes fixed on their opposite neighbour's window suddenly exclaimed i do believe the jones are going to have company again to-day the servant has just been lighting the fire in the drawing-room and there is miss jones now gone up to dress i saw her draw down the blinds in her room this instant so she is said lucy looking up i never knew such people in my life they are always having company 
"'I wonder whom they are expecting to-day,' said Eliza. "'Dinner company, I suppose.' The proceedings of their neighbours, the Joneses, continued to furnish matter for various sagacious conjectures and remarks for a considerable time. At length Caroline exclaimed with the eagerness of discovery, "'Look, look, there's the baker now at the door with a whole trayful of tarts and things. Make haste, or he'll be gone in.' "'Lucy, so he is. I declare it is a fine dinner-party, then. Well, we shall see presently, I hope, who are coming.' Caroline, "'Oh, no, they never dine till five when they have company.' Eliza, and it will be dark then. How tiresome! Lucy, if Miss Jones is not dressed already, she is this instant coming into the drawing-room. Caroline, stand back, stand back. Don't let her see us all staring. Ah, there she is. Got on her pink sarsenet body and sleeves to-day. How pretty that dress is, to be sure. Eliza, and how nicely she has done her hair. Look, Caroline, braided behind. Lucy, there she is, putting down the sash. That chimney smokes, I know, with this wind. Fanny, and there is that little figure Martha Jones come down now. Do look as broad as she is long. What a little fright that child is, to be sure. Mother. Pray, Fanny, was that remark useful or necessary? Fanny. Oh, but, Mamma, I assure you my tongue is quite well now. Mother. I am sorry for it, my dear. Do you know, I should think it well worth while to bite my tongue every day, if there were no other means of keeping it in order. At this the girls laughed, but their mother, resuming her gravity, thus continued, "'My dear girls, I should before now have put a stop to this idle gossiping, if I had not hoped to convince you of the folly of it. It is no wonder, I confess, that at your age you should learn to imitate a style of remark which is but too prevalent in society. Nothing, indeed, is more contagious. But let me also tell you that girls of your age and of your advantages are capable of seeing the meanness of it, and ought to despise it. It is the chief end of education to raise the minds of women above such trifling as this. But if a young person who has been taught to think, whose taste has been cultivated, and who might therefore possess internal resources, has as much idle curiosity about the affairs of her neighbours, and is as fond of retailing petty scandal concerning them, as an uneducated woman, it proves that her mind is incurably mean and vulgar, and that cultivation is lost upon her. This sort of gossiping, my dear girls, is the disgrace of our sex. The pursuits of women lie necessarily within a narrow sphere, and they naturally sink, unless raised by refinement, or by strong principle, into that littleness of character, for which even their own husbands and fathers, if they are men of sense, are tempted to despise them. The minds of men, from their engagements in business, necessarily take a larger range, and they are, in general, too much occupied with concerns comparatively important to enter into the minute details which amuse women but women of education have no such plea to urge. When your father and I direct you to this or that pursuit, it is not so much for the sake of your possessing that particular branch of knowledge, but that by knowledge in general you may become intelligent and superior, and that you may be furnished with resources which will save you from the miserable necessity of seeking amusement from intercourse with your neighbours and an acquaintance with their affairs. Let us suppose now that this morning you had been all more industriously inclined, and had been engaged in any of your employments, with that ardour which some happy young people manifest in the acquisition of knowledge, would you, in that case, have felt any desire to know the date of Mrs. W.'s police, or any curiosity in the proceedings of our neighbours, the Joneses? No, you would then have thought it a most impertinent interruption if any one had attempted to entertain you with such particulars. But when the mind is indolent and empty, then it can receive amusement from the most contemptible sources. 
Learn, then, to check this mean propensity. Despise such thoughts whenever you are tempted to indulge them. Recollect that this low curiosity is the combined result of idleness, ignorance, emptiness, and ill-nature, to fly to useful occupation as the most successful antidote against the evil. Nor let it be forgotten that such impertinent remarks as these come directly under the description of those idle words of which any account must be given in the day of judgment. Yes, this vulgar trifling is as inconsistent with the spirit of Christian benevolence, and with the grand rule of doing to others, as we would that they should do unto us, as it is with the refinement of taste and dignity of character. "'Who would have thought,' said little Fanny, "'that my happening to bite my tongue this morning would have led to all this?' "'It would be a fortunate bite for you, Fanny,' said her mother, "'and for your neighbours, if it should make you more careful in the use of it. If we were liable to such a misfortune whenever we use our tongues improperly, some persons would be in a constant agony. Now, if our consciences were but half as sensitive as our nerves, they would answer the purpose much better. Foolish talking pains a good conscience, just as continual speaking hurts a sore tongue. And if we did but regard one smart as much as the other, it would act as a constant check upon the unruly member. End of section 51